the Lake of the Ozarks' only community radio station. That's right, you've got a hand in it, Lake of the Ozarks, 89.3 KEYK, Osage Beach, Missouri. I'm Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 4th. MoDOT will be closing Route 42 and Highway 54 to motorists between Osage Beach and Iberia this spring and early summer. The work on Route 42 has already started and will continue through June. Once those repairs are done, work will begin on Route 54, which will include closing portions of this major highway to traffic. More information at lakeexpo.com. Natural gas customers struggling to keep up with their energy statements have access to new funding from Amra, Missouri. Eligible natural gas customers can now receive assistance through Amra, Missouri's Clean Slate program. Which forgives past due balances. Amron is pledging $250,000 to support natural gas customers who qualify for assistance. More information at lakeexpo.com. Ryan Pierce, who is accused of biting off a portion of a man's ear and gouging his eyes, has been caught in Lynn Creek. Camden County deputies were called to a disturbance at a residence in Lynn Creek where they spoke with a man they suspected to be Ryan Pierce. He gave them a different name and date of birth, but deputies suspected the information was false. After confronting him with that suspicion, the man admitted to being Pierce and was arrested without further incident. He's being held in Camden County on a Miller County warrant with a amount of $150,000. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news, events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. Portions of the programming on Key Radio are made possible through a generous donation from lakeexpo.com. Lakeexpo.com is a locally owned daily news website connecting residents, second homeowners, visitors, and the boating community to the Lake of the Ozarks. Lake Expo features real estate and boats for sale, upcoming events at the lake, and their exclusive boating club, X-Toe. Download the free Lake Expo app on the App Store and Google Play. LakeExpo.com, the lake's trusted news source. Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. College baseball last night. Mizzou comes up with a nice win. They beat Southeast Missouri 9-3, so the Tigers now 25-17 on the season. Huge win for MSU. The Bears 22-19, winners of eight of their last nine after knocking off fourth-ranked Arkansas last night, winning at 6-4 on the road. Huge win for MSU. So the Bears have beaten Mizzou and Arkansas in the last week. On the ice tonight, round one of the NHL playoffs. The Blues in Minnesota against the Wild. The Blues won game one, four to nothing Monday night. So Blues looking for a series commanding win on the road tonight in Minnesota against the Wild. Baseball last night, it was the Royals beating the Cardinals in Kansas City seven to one. The Royals eight and fourteen on the season now. The Cardinals 13 and 10. NASCAR, the uh, standings leader is Chase Elliott. He got his first win of the 
the year Monday in the weather-delayed Duramax uh, 400 at Dover Motor Speedway. Hey, you got to check out KB on TV. That's right. Kevin KB Burns has his own TV show on Lake TV. You can see it every day. What's burning with KB at uh, 7 in the morning, 5 in the afternoon, 11 at night. Lake TV bringing you five local lake area shows. And don't forget about Uncle Chris at the top of the hour. Almost every hour you can see Lake TV on Como Channel 90, free on Roku. Just do a search for Lake TV. Streaming live 24-7 at MyLakeTV.com. I'm Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. Our underwriters are who makes the programming possible on Key Radio. And thank you to Victoria Station. Misty Atkinson talks about the history of Victoria Station and how you might have to just use your nose with some of the unique products they offer at Victoria Station. The Victoria Station has been around for 37 years now. We're a family-owned business. We've been in our location for 27. We're veteran-owned, family-run. We carry lots of different product categories, from greeting cards to home fragrances, uh, lamps, potpourri. There are certain products that you have to smell. Those home fragrance things, the candles, the potpourri lines, the fragrance oils, that, yeah, you need to smell it to see if that's what you want your own home to smell like. We're still located at 5465 Osage Beach Parkway, just off the Case Road exit. And the best way to find us online is on Facebook at Victoria Station. We are open daily 930 to 530. The Serving Table provides free meals at Key Gathering Place, Wednesdays 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. and Thursdays 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's the continuing mission of Jacob and Carly Lamb to serve people in need. But this is not just about free food. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Spiritual food is as great a need as the meals Jacob prepares, and we need volunteers to join in so the Serving Table can open every day. Learn more at KeyGatheringPlace.com or search Facebook for the serving table. Happy to be the Lake Sounding Board. Community radio for the Lake of the Ozarks. It's 89.3, the key. And here we go. Good morning. It is 8.07. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. We are 
here for the uh, Daily Show and a great show we've got lined up for you today. Coming up next hour, we'll talk with the president of the Camdenton School Board, Gail Griswold. Ron Calzone is going to be joining us here shortly. Ike Skelton in the studio with us. How you doing, Ike? Good morning. I'm doing real well, my friend. All right. Let's uh, take a quick look at that weather forecast. Currently 50 degrees in beautiful downtown Osage Beach as we are broadcasting live from the world headquarters of SRG Financial Advisors. 62 the expected high today. Looks like uh, we are... Uh, possibly going to see some rain this afternoon uh rain possible again tonight will drop down to 56 for the low thunderstorms and 71 tomorrow with a low of 54 60 and morning showers on friday with a low of 50 but look out the weekend is shaping up nicely partly cloudy on saturday high 73 partly cloudy and 85 on mother's day 90 the expected high on monday with plenty of sunshine, sunny and 89 Tuesday. And it looks at this point like we're not really going to see a whole lot of rain until possibly the middle of the month of May, which uh, we need to dry out. We certainly do. I've had my fair share and my fun, and uh, it's just like uh, I saw the, uh, the the local swim team practicing in my front yard. <laughs> right. They said, well, it's almost the size of an Olympic swimming pool. I said, and it's almost as deep as an Olympic swimming pool. <laughs> 8.09 here this morning. Let us take the opportunity. Let's make sure we didn't uh, knock him off the phone. Let's see if he's uh, calling back in here. I think he is. Let's see. Get him on here and talk with our good friend, uh, Mr. Ron Calzone, who's joining us this morning as well. Ron, how are you, sir? I'm doing quite well. And you? Another day in paradise. Just glad to be alive to uh, see it. And talk about it, and hopefully, if uh, something epic happens, and I know it will, uh, being able to tell folks uh, about uh, this day, as they, if you're a Star Wars fan, today's May 4th, so may the 4th be with uh, you. That's, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's somebody who's really stretching to uh, have a reason to celebrate. Right. <laughs> Good morning, Ron. Hey, Ike. Well, we are glad to have you with us this morning, and uh, glad that our listeners are with us. Uh, again, five seven three six three three fifty three ninety five is the number to call, and we're going to spend the next hour uh, talking with Ron Calzone, talking with uh, possibly you this morning, and uh, we've got uh, lots on the agenda. So, uh, Mr. Ike Skelton, good to see you, sir, and and I believe there's probably a reason that uh, we brought in uh, Mr. Calzone this morning to uh, to talk with us. I know we've got about a week and a half left in the legislative session, so maybe there's some uh, things we can touch on, some things that uh, more than likely are going to come down to the wire. Yeah, I like to talk to Ron every now and again and find out what's going on up there, and, and um, he has an interesting report, and kind of what I've noticed that there's not a lot of good things going on. There's a lot of great bills out there that could really help uh, a lot of different areas in the state of Missouri, and they're just the Time is being squandered for a lot of, uh, um, I'm going to call them pet things, that leadership and other people want to get done. And it seems as though a lot of games are happening with uh, some good bills from the leadership arena. And uh, I thought I'd uh, see if Ron wouldn't come on and maybe explain some of that to us. Uh, What do you see that's really troubling there, Ron? Or or what do you see that should be happening that isn't? Or, um, you know, what's your perspective on what's happening? Did we lose him? Don't tell me we lost him already. Uh-oh. I had no I had no hand in that. Well, he is on the road, so it's very possible he lost some sort of radio, you know, t- uh, phone signal or whatever. But uh, okay. uh, try him back again here. There he is. That uh, should be Mr. Calzone here. Let's get him in here. All right, we've got you back, Ron. 
I'm yeah, I'm sorry. I drove through the uh, the dead zone on my drive to the Capitol. I live in the sticks. Or uh, AT&T services. Well, as Ike had said, uh, Ron, what are some things that are going on in Jefferson City that are uh, uh, something that uh, folks would probably be interested in uh, as opposed to some of the things where legislators are dragging their feet? Uh, What are we seeing? What are we hearing? And uh, what do uh, the citizens of the state of Missouri need to know? Well, first I want to point out that it's, it's virtually impossible for anybody to know everything that's going on, all the moving balls, and all the things that aren't moving. Uh, you know, so each of us that are involved in the process tends to focus on some area. And, and so I will miss a lot of things. But probably the most important big picture thing to understand is what's happening in the House of Representatives right now. You know, Ike and I for quite some time have been very concerned about the top-down power structure in the House. So you have basically two people that are allowed to set the agenda. And, you know, that would be the Speaker of the House and the Majority Floor Leader. Sometimes you have uh, more altruistic speakers and floor leaders than other times. Uh, Right now we have a a speaker that's, I think, pretty cooperative, but we have a Majority Floor Leader that thinks he should be able to run the show and dictate what happens to the other 162 members of the House of Representatives. And, and that's a huge problem. So Dean Plotter is the majority floor leader, and by the way, slated to be the next speaker of the House. That should concern you. And, and probably the mis- most disconcerting thing is, is that, you know, Dean controls the flow of the traffic, the, the legislative traffic to the floor, and he's not telling anybody what's coming up the next day. And so... You know, all of the members are just surprised, I guess at least the ones he doesn't choose to inform. They're just surprised at what bills come up. And this time of year, it's what we call the feeding frenzy. They tend to be very large bills, and there's just no time for the members, the average rep, to digest a bill, to get feedback from a bill, and know what the proper way to vote on this given bill is because Dean Blocker's just not giving them time. You know, th- that is one of your problems up there. We- we've seen this, as you mentioned, year after year. Um, you know, what does... I have to wonder, you know, Dean Plocher's been around a while, obviously, but what uh, what are the members thinking when they vote some of these folks in? You know, we have to look at the root of this issue, and the fact is the members vote these guys in, but I... Uh, and and the Democrats don't get to vote for the majority floor leader. They get to vote for Speaker of the House, but not the majority leader. Um, it's kind of like uh, Caleb Rowden being the floor leader in the Senate. I don't, I just don't get this sometimes, how they pick these folks. Well, that's a good question. I think probably, though, that's the second most basic question. To me, the most basic question is, is why do we have a set of rules that lets whoever it is they pick have that much power to abuse. Well, sure. So the most the most fundamental problem I think they have to fix is, the, is are the rules. The rules should not let if they make a mistake. That's I mean, just like any any candidate for any office, you know, tends to put their you know their best foot forward and comb their hair when people are uh, when they're asking for votes, and and it's not unusual for them to find out that they're actually a different person than they voted for, and that's why we have. That's why we live in a constitutional republic, because you know, the framers of our system recognize that 
even if you elect good people, they change, and they recognize that sometimes you get fooled, and oftentimes you get fooled, and you don't elect the person you think you're electing. So we have a, we have a constitution that acts as a fence, you know, and a and a wall around the power that we loan our elected officials, and that's what needs to happen in the House of Representatives and the Senate, for that matter. They need to change the rules. They need to change the rules to make sure that your rep and my rep each has an equal say in what goes on. And we don't give all that power to just a couple of people you know, who are prone to abuse that power. So we need rules changes. We need, we need the fundamentals to change. We need some fences and walls built around the power that's loaned to these people that are, are the quote, leaders of the House and the Senate. Well, but for a constitutional amendment of some nature or a change to the Constitution, uh, do you really see these individuals being willing to give up the power on their own? I mean, that, that's well, really... It's, that's I don't think of, it's, it's... Well, see, the thing is, is that you're, you know, you're correct that the members vote for their leaders. They vote for the speaker. They vote for the floor leader. But every two years at the beginning of a two-year legislative session, they also vote on rules. So the, the members of the House of Representatives establish their own rules. They vote on them every two years, and they can amend them as time goes on. And so, you know, even if they even if they adopt a new set of rules and they find out that there's a flaw in them, a month into session, two months into session, they can somebody can propose a rules change, and they can vote on the rules and change the rules. So it's it's not that you have. Uh, the need of a dean talker giving up the power. What our real need is, is we need each member to not cede the power that his constituents or her constituents loan them. Backing up, this is the thing to understand. The very first article in the Missouri Constitution, after the preamble that acknowledges God as the supreme lawgiver of the universe, it says that all political power is vested in the people. And, and it says, paraphrasing, that the people loan their power to their elected officials. And so your state rep, your state senator, for that matter, your congressman or your U.S. senator or the president, they just have power on loan from us. And so when, when your representative votes for a set of rules that gives one or two or just a few people an inordinate amount of power, They've given away your power, the power that you loaned them. You didn't loan it to them so they could give it to somebody else. You loaned it to them so they could represent you. And so ultimately, I think what we need is the people back home to demand that each of their reps retain the power that they've loaned those reps. And the best way for them to do that is to establish rules that don't empower for a two-year term, uh, you know, a, a floor leader or a speaker or President Pro Tem of the Senate, and just insist that if you want my vote in this primary that's coming up, if you want my vote, I want you to commit to a new set of rules that keeps the power that I'm loaning you in your hands. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that sounds, I mean, you know, you and I that have been in this a lot and others that we work with, we understand these sorts of things. Um, it's tough to get your average voter to really understand that inside baseball um, and get them to grasp what the concept that you're talking about that, you know, right now, you know, we have what you said, 163 representatives, right? 
Well, there's some vacancies now, but they're supposed to be 163. Okay, so so in in reality, that's one one six one one hundred sixty third each uh, each individual should have. But in reality, when you put that much power in the hands of the speaker and or the floor leader, uh, as you said, those individuals give up that power. And we've talked about you know uh, a committee uh, leadership and uh, committee chair elections and all these different sorts of things. Um, Got to figure out somehow how we can get that information to the people more than more than maybe we have been I've talked about it you've talked about it uh, on radio at various uh, times and and uh, try to get them to really understand uh, how these things work is going to be an uphill battle um, but um, it's it's definitely something that well, is needed to be done that probably best happens in, you know in the inner circles you know so mm-hmm. you right now the Republicans have uh, you know a number of Lincoln days gatherings going on, I hate the term Lincoln Days, but they have these, you know, they have these Lincoln Days party uh, gatherings going on, and that's where people that are more familiar with the process, like you and I, are going to. You know, Democrats have their, uh, whatever they have. Jefferson, <laughs> Jefferson their, their Davis, one. isn't it? And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jefferson Davis Davis. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which, would be, which would be kind of ironic, though. Right. Anyway, the point is, is that they they have as much or more interest as the Republicans do in making sure that the power is distributed among the members, and so Democrats should be making the same demands. Mm-hmm. And I, my point is, is that you're right. When it comes down to the the uh, election, you know, even with the primary or the November election, when just the masses of people are voting, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to inform them. But at this point in the states, between now and August, that's when uh, the people, the people that are listening to this program, tend to be more engaged people as well, and they just need to, to talk to their reps, and they need to, they know what the problem is. And right now, by the way, one of the things that's happening is, is there's a handful of reps. They tend to be, in fact, they're all either seniors or not coming back to the House of Representatives for some reason, and and so they don't mind rocking the boat, and they're doing things every day to underscore the lack of communication between the floor leader and the rest of the chamber. And, you know, and which, which illustrates the problem we have with this concentrated power. So they all know what's going on if they're there now and if they're seeking re-election. And so if you go to them and say, you know, it's our understanding that there's way too much power in the hands of just a few people. And you tell us, what do we need to do about it? And they're probably not going to give you a satisfactory answer, so nail them down. And and just, just tell them that you're watching now, and you expect them to do something about this top-down power structure. Mm-hmm. And you'll be following up on it. Well, and, and you know, uh, I, I think we all know how politics works. Uh, you know, if you're friends with somebody, if... Uh, uh, you know, uh, things uh, work your way or, or, or don't work your way. And, uh, y- you know, I, w- I wonder if a lot of these folks try to be buddy-buddy with the speaker. And, and as far as determining what bills get addressed, what gets on the House floor, um, it's it's pretty much, I, I guess, the same anywhere you go. People like people. People get along with people. People don't get along with people. And I would imagine that uh, sometimes has... Uh, uh, has a role in, in, in what is addressed, what's uh, pushed through, what's really uh, emphasized uh, as important, and uh, other things maybe not so much. So, uh, again, I think it's it's important for people who want to seek 
political office to realize and understand that, you know, uh, you're going to be in a position where, yes, you have uh, some power, but it's uh, essentially not yours to wield. It is uh, something that you should be keeping in mind constantly uh, as as being a representative of the people. And I think that's where we kind of lose the, the focus. And it, it always seems like people campaign and they have a platform and, you know, we're going to lower taxes and we're going to do all these wonderful things. And then when uh, they get to wherever they're headed, they kind of lose sight of that. And I, I, I see that on a lot of different levels because you get to uh, – uh, let's say, be the Speaker of the House, and all of a sudden it's the land of milk and honey. Mm-hmm. And you don't really remember. It's always important, Ron, to remember where you came from and the original intent of why you got involved in politics in the first place, and we see it all the time, uh, corruption and, and people that uh, uh, you know favor certain things over other things. They don't look at things... Uh, you know, they look at it with bias. They don't look at it unbiased, and, and, and that in itself is something that needs to be considered. But how do you remind people? I mean, you know, as an individual, you can go to your uh, representative and say, hey, listen, we voted you into office to represent us, and you're not doing that. And they're like, well, they'll say whatever they need to say at the time and then kind of get back to business as usual. What types of things do you do? How do you hold these people's feet to the fire and do it in a legitimate way that they remember where they came from and they remember who they represent? Well, that's an excellent question, and I, I think that one of the most important things to understand that I, I think is probably lost on most of the public is just how sophomoric these adult men and women can be. And so you're exactly right. Sometimes, you know, petty personality issues get in the way of good policy, and and that's just not acceptable when lives are at stake. We've seen, you know, since 2000, you know, 2000 and 2001 especially, we've seen just how much havoc elected officials and unelected bureaucrats can can place on your lives. We had people deciding who was essential and who wasn't essential, whose income was essential and who wasn't essential. You know, issuing orders, you know, basically putting you under house arrest without due process of law. Mm -hmm. Uh, People wanting to force invasive medical procedures on other people or or they lose basic life's privileges and rights. You know, those are the kind of abuses of power that you only see sometimes once in a lifetime. And and I and I kind of alluded to the fact at the outset of this program that there's a lot of good legislation that will build higher fences and tie the hands of government so they can't do those kind of things again and they're being ignored. And and sometimes a lot of times and right now in Jefferson City, they're not being ignored because it's not good policy, but sometimes they're being ignored because uh, the person that's handling that bill isn't liked by somebody that makes a decision. And so it's it's a whole lot like a high school environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this petty, sophomore kind of behavior is rampant. It's just absolutely incredible and dis- disappointing, disgusting to watch. And and part of so the, so part of that problem, I, and I, I'm leading to something here, part of the problem is, is that too often, these men and women get up there and they view one another as their peers. They see one another more than they see anybody else during the legislative session. They're, they are spending a lot of time with one another in the chamber and in committees, uh, socializing. And last night there was a softball game. 
and and they get to thinking that they're their peers when in fact their constituents are their peers. And so they need to see their constituents. The constituents need to see them. They need to be spending more time with them. And that means that you need to, to, to demand that when they're back in, in the community that, they're, that they are accessible, but that's not always going to happen. So you need to go to Jeff City or you need to look them up. You need them to have to look you in the eye and tell you what's going on up there. And of course, what they'll tend to do is tell you all the favorable stuff that you know you want to hear, mm-hmm. and and they'll sweep the other stuff, the other garbage under the carpet. It, it, it does take eternal vigilance, and it does take uh, engagement by enough of the public for these people to know that they are being watched and they will be held accountable for what they do. So that's a long way to say make your elected official well, well, make them understand that you're their peers, not the other politicians. You know, there was a time um, that we had, uh, you know, you and I and others ran around up there quite a bit uh, doing a lot of different things. And it seemed to me, I felt, and I know you've been doing a whole lot longer than I have, and uh, you were out there in in the netherworld pretty much all alone. Um, And then we had a decent little group come up there. Uh, We're about at the top of the bottom break here. But real quickly, have you seen the the Patriot Network, as it were, kind of uh, fall apart a little bit? Do you think it's as strong as it used to be? Um, is it as helpful as it maybe was at one time, or or are you pretty much alone again? Well, no, you know, it kind of comes and goes, but um, I think we have maybe a different set of faces, but I think right now there's more citizen engagement than there has been in a long time. And, and maybe, maybe I, there was kind of a, during the Tea Party heydays, there was probably more engagement than there is now, but there's quite a bit right now. You know, so the so whole COVID pandemic thing brought a lot of, woke a lot of people up, and it brought a lot of people out of the woodwork. Certainly did. Ron, so there's you, a, you know, there's a help. There, yeah, I, yes, I, was, I can. I was just going to say, can you stick with us uh, through the break? Yes, sir. All right, we're going to jump in. We've got to take our bottom of the hour break and to get updated with some uh, local news from Stacy Johnson with LakeExpo.com, your trusted news source. Chris Schneider with Lake TV will bring us a check of sports, and we'll get back to our conversation with Ron Calzone, Ike Skelton, and you are always welcome to chime in at 573-633-5395. It's The Daily Show on Key Radio. Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 4th. MoDOT will be closing Route 42 and Highway 54 to motorists between Osage Beach and Iberia this spring and early summer. The work on Route 42 has already started and will continue through June. Once those repairs are done, work will begin on Route 54, which will include closing portions of this major highway to traffic. More information at lakeexpo.com. Natural gas customers struggling to keep up with their energy statements have access to new funding from Amra, Missouri. Eligible natural gas customers can now receive assistance through Amra, Missouri's Clean Slate program. Which forgives past due balances, Amron is pledging $250,000 to support natural gas customers who qualify for assistance. More information at lakeexpo.com. 
Ryan Pierce, who is accused of biting off a portion of a man's ear and gouging his eyes, has been caught in Lynn Creek. Camden County deputies were called to a disturbance at a residence in Lynn Creek where they spoke with a man they suspected to be Ryan Pierce. He gave them a different name and date of birth, but deputies suspected the information was false. After confronting him with that suspicion, the man admitted to being Pierce and was arrested without further incident. He's being held in Camden County on a Miller County warrant with a bond amount of $150,000. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news, events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. Programming on Key Radio made possible in part by Skelton Key and Lock. When you're locked out of your home, car, or business, every second counts. You need to be sure that the company you choose will answer the call and get to you as quickly as possible. Skelton Key & Lock offers reliable service, reasonable rates, and they're recommended by everyone. They can cut and program new keys and fobs. They can install new locks on your home, business, or rental property. If you can stick a key in it, chances are it can be serviced by Skelton Key & Lock serving the entire lake area. Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. College baseball last night. Mizzou comes up with a nice win. They beat Southeast Missouri 9-3, so the Tigers now 25-17 on the season. Huge win for MSU. The Bears 22-19, winners of eight of their last nine after knocking off fourth-ranked Arkansas last night, winning at 6-4 on the road. Huge win for MSU. So the Bears have beaten Mizzou and Arkansas in the last week. On the ice tonight, round one of the NHL playoffs, the Blues in Minnesota against the Wild. The Blues won game one, four to nothing Monday night. So Blues looking for a series commanding win on the road tonight in Minnesota against the Wild. Baseball last night, it was the Royals beating the Cardinals in Kansas City, seven to one. The Royals eight and 14 on the season now. The Cardinals 13 and 10. NASCAR, the uh, standings leader is Chase Elliott. He got his first win of the year Monday in the weather-delayed Duramax uh, 400 at Dover Motor Speedway. Hey, you got to check out KB on TV. That's right. Kevin KB Burns has his own TV show on Lake TV. You can see it every day. What's burning with KB at uh, 7 in the morning, 5 in the afternoon, 11 at night. Lake TV brings you five local lake area shows and don't forget about uncle chris at the top of the hour almost every hour you can see lake tv on como channel 90 free on roku just do a search for lake tv streaming live 24 7 at mylaketv.com i'm chris schneider with your key radio lake tv sports update for this wednesday portions of our programming on key radio made possible thanks to lake tv Lake TV's your hometown local TV station. Featuring Cup of Coffee with Will and Chris, What's Burning with KB, live high school sports, real estate, dining, boating, and of course the annual Lake of the Ozarks shootout. Lake TV on Como Connect, Channel 90, Roku, YouTube, Facebook and Instagram, and of course online at mylaketv.com. If it's happening at the lake, 
It's happening on Lake TV. Join 89.3 The Key for the True History Professor program featuring Professor Jim Paisley. The national media now is kind of taking advantage of people. They hit you with a, you know, a big headline, and then they don't give you any information behind it. There's no context to it. Problem. And so what I'm going to try and do, uh, you know, on a weekly basis with the show is to try and share with you what, what were the events, what are the things behind the scenes here, what, what led to this. Professor Paisley takes a look back at history and how it relates to present day events. But we take it on face value without having any knowledge of why it well it's because the news told us join professor jim paisley thursdays and saturdays at 6 a.m 2 p.m and 10 p.m for the true history professor program on 89.3 the key If you'd like to become a content provider, simply contact the Lakes Community Radio Station at 89.3, The Key. Hey, 36, right back here on The Daily Show, and what a great show it is. As I mentioned earlier, Gail Griswold, president of the Camptonton School Board, will be joining us in hour number two. Mike, uh, I was just going to say Mike Clayton. I don't know why, because it just popped up here in front of me, my buddy Mike Clayton. We did uh, we did a feature with his son, Jack, all over the weekend for a, uh, a, a new segment we're doing on uh, what's burning on lake tv called young guns it is uh, uh sponsored by the good folks at cool breeze marine the prop specialists and i don't know why that just popped into my head but that's one of the things we'll be featuring on the show we're in uh, the studio today uh shooting all of our final segments to put it all together so we're going to have some fun i invite you to check that out something else i've delved into since uh being uh, in w- in the position, I guess, that I'm in uh, and have been in for about the last year or so. And so a new show comes out every Thursday, 7 a.m., uh, 5 p.m., 11 a.m. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great opportunity, and we have the show seven days a week. 8.37, we are uh, getting uh, some reports of uh, some rain moving through the region. 51 degrees now in Osage Beach. We're broadcasting live from the world headquarters of SRG Financial Advisors. As far as the weather picture... Uh, we'll uh, get up hopefully till about 62, and we are looking for some rain off and on throughout the afternoon into tonight as well with a low 56. Thunderstorms in 71 tomorrow. Showers on Friday morning and a high of 60. Partly cloudy on Saturday in 73. Partly cloudy in 85 on Mother's Day, which is great. So make sure you get mom out of the house. 656.42 is the current lake level. River level at 567.12. Let's get back. Back to our conversation with our uh, guest on the phone, and that would be Mr. Ron Calzone, and we are happy to have him with us here this morning. What we wanted to talk about, Ron, is uh, some of the legislation that um, is uh, is is being hopefully discussed, and some things that uh, we need to kind of uh, look into a little bit. I know uh, Representative Susie Pollack had a bill uh, protecting children. We've talked about the transgender issue. Uh, where are some of these things at, and are there other things that uh, uh, we need to be aware of uh, before the legislative session is over. And as you said early on, it's kind of tough to keep track of everything. I mean, you really have to be uh, somebody who's almost like a uh, political junkie. It's all you do is being able to keep an eye on that. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about uh, some of those things I mentioned and maybe some other things we need to know about as well. Well, first of all, Susie Pollack is a champion. She's, She's one of my heroes 
and and I, and really we're right back to the discussion that we had earlier. She has two essential bills that protect children and parents' rights, for that matter. Uh, one dealing with mandated vaccines, and the other one dealing with uh, you know some of the transgender issues and transgender boys wanting to to, to spend time in girls' locker rooms and and competing against girls in sports and. And we're back to Dean Blocker. You know, again, the floor leader has blocked uh, her bills, and and that, and in fact, her 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 House Bill 2009 was absolutely the most popular bill this session. It had more co-sponsors by far than any other bill. The reps will tell you that they've gotten more emails and more phone calls and more in-person visits from people wanting these protections for children and Dean Flocker's ignoring it. And it's, and it's too late now. It's too late to, to get it to the floor in the house and over to the Senate. So essentially one person, the floor leader, Dean Flocker killed the most popular bill. And by the way, the most popular bill last year was the second amendment preservation act. He tried to do the same thing with it. So, you know, we're, we're back to this power structure getting in the way of good, solid reps that want to do the people's work and, uh, you know, and your liberty. And so those, those, unfortunately, those measures are dead. There's uh, Senator Mike Moon has a, a similar bill dealing with uh, boys playing in girls sports on the Senate side, and he is trying to get them to take it up. But you have the same kind of dynamic there. It's it's a Senate bill, and if a, and if the bill has not already gotten through its side of the building, its chamber, there's a House bill getting through the House, and the Senate bill getting through the Senate. Uh, when there's a week and a half left, it's just too late. It's not going to happen. So some of the most important issues of the day, things that are in the news and people are concerned about, are getting ignored and they're getting blocked by leadership on both sides of the building. For that matter. Do we have any input as to why, Ron? Because, you know, again, if this being one of the most popular co-sponsored bills, uh, Susie Pollock's HB 2009, what is up with leadership? Are they concerned about the issue and the impact that uh, a lot of the even violent protesters can have when it comes to this issue? Um, is it, is it, is it, uh, are they getting political pressure somewhere? Are they truly not uh, what you would concern be, you know, a, a liberty minded uh, Republican? Are they more of a, you know, the label of rhino or what have you, or, or can, can you put your finger on what, in the world is going on with things like that? Well, you know, it's not always easy to know exactly what motivates any individual. Sure. You can't read their minds or their hearts, you know, but you can, you can guess, you know, and certainly there's some of that sophomoric personality stuff that's going on. Someone just doesn't like somebody else. But with the case of um, Susie Pollock's bills, we also know that you have the what I call the, the healthcare industrial complex mm-hmm. that gets in the way. And, and in particular, you have the American Academy of Pediatrics that has undue influence on the legislative process. Of course, the whole healthcare industry is so incredibly powerful that it, it's, it, you, just, you just can't ignore how much influence they have on the whole process. But, uh, so, and some of them, are, are worse than others, and some of them have 
fewer, you know, share fewer of the values that we do in the Midwest. But the American Academy of Pediatrics is definitely one. Uh, if you if you go to their website, in fact, if you go to mofirst.org, if you go to my website, mofirst.org, and and you look at some of the posts dealing with uh, uh, the House Bill 2009, uh, you'll see some links some documents from the American Academy of Pediatrics own website and you'll find out just how leftist this organization is. You know, as an example, uh, they, they think that um, adolescent children should have access to abortion services independent of their parents without knowledge of their parents. That's about as bad as it gets. These people are anti-gun rights. These people are, are you know pro transgender agenda? They think that uh, that you know children and young men and adults, I guess for that matter, should have access to the girls' locker room and the girls' uh, girls' sports and things like that. It's all very very leftist agenda. They think that every child from five and up should have the COVID vaccine, mm-hmm. and you know regardless of your opinion of the COVID vaccine or COVID shot. You know, it's probably not accurately called vaccine. Um, nobody in their right mind thinks that children five, you know, and, and up to adolescent age are really at risk for COVID. It's the, the risk of the vaccine is so much greater. It just doesn't make sense for pedi- pediatricians to be recommending that. So obviously they're driven by a political agenda, not just the health of children and health of society. And they have a lot of influence and a lot of power. So those are, they are, again. So I mentioned earlier that we want to make sure that these these politicians don't look at one another as their peers. Well, neither do we want them to look at the professional paid lobbyists mm-hmm. as their peers. And and they are there all the time, every day, you know, in scores of them. And and they don't see their, their, their constituents, the citizens there, as much as they need to. At the Capitol. Yeah, well, it's it's a Republican majority in the House and Senate in the state of Missouri, correct? Super majority. Well, I'm just saying yeah. it. Th- well, there, yeah. There's majority there, correct? Sure. So well, yeah, I mean, on paper, on paper at least. Well, that's what I mean. And so you would think that uh, a bill that uh, is proposed by Susie Pollack would have absolutely no problem getting the attention it deserves. And I was looking here at uh, uh, MissouriFirst.org, Missouri, or it's MoFirst.org, if you want to uh, check on the website that uh, Ron was referring to. And it talks about the American Academy of Pediatrics pushing the gun control, uh, advocating for adolescents' right to confidential care when considering abortion. How does an adolescent know anything at all about what to think, what to say, what to do, other than to have somebody else in there pulling the strings for them, uh, an adult promoting the transgender uh, agenda, eliminating parents' rights. Uh, They want five-year-olds to get the COVID-19 shot. They pushed for universal masking in schools. Uh, We follow this back, and and I'm sure you've probably done your homework on this, Ron. Uh, Who are some of the folks behind the scenes that we don't know about? I mean, you've got a group, uh, they call themselves the American Academy of Pediatrics. What a name, what a bold name uh, that we should probably all bow down and say, well, these are the people with the uh, AAP, and they probably know everything there is to know about children, yet they're not my 
child's parent. I am the parent of my child. So essentially, shouldn't I have the right to make the decisions that I feel are necessary for my child and not have somebody forcing uh, a certain agenda down my throat telling me that my child could possibly have some sort of access to uh, information regarding abortion, uh, that my child uh, essentially has to get the COVID-19 shot? Who are these people? And and, and then we wonder, and, and then we turn around, and when kids don't turn out right, who do we blame? We don't blame the American Academy of Pediatrics. Right. We blame the parents. Well, you know, uh, so-and-so came from a single-parent home, or, uh, you know, mom and dad both had to work and didn't have time to spend with little Johnny or little Susie and so on and so forth. And, you know, it, it's so contradictory and so there's so much hypocrisy that comes from this. We want to tell you what to do, but when things don't work out, automatically uh, don't look at us, don't blame us. Uh, look at yourself. Look within the family unit. There must be something within the family unit that causes these kids to act or react or do the things that they do. And so uh, maybe, maybe there is, and then the American uh, Academy of Pediatrics can turn around and say, well, maybe there is is a need for our intervention here because apparently uh, there are parents out there who can't raise their kids properly or don't know what to do or how to do it or you know uh, they found a kid wandering the street well where's your mom and dad well i don't know or they're at work or whatever mm-hmm. and so i mean uh, the, the hypocrisy of all of this is, is is unbelievable but at the same time you know i don't recall when i was a child uh, anybody ever coming into my home and saying to my mom or my my dad that this is what you need to do and this is what you will do because my parents would have told them where to go and how to get there. <laughs> well, that's you know I don't know I think we have a vicious cycle so I think we have a we have a problem we do have a problem with parents that aren't engaged and we do have a problem with parents who bought into this you know to Hillary's. It takes a village idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have parents with their hands out. For goodness sakes, we've got parents that send their kids to school for the schools to feed them breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, we, parents aren't even responsible enough to feed them breakfast. But we have, on the other hand, we have schools that will feed them breakfast. Mm-hmm. So we have schools that are enabling parents to be poor parents and to abdicate their parental uh, responsibilities to someone else. So they're in, they're know, in what do we do about it? Therein lies the problem. You've got these schools that are allowing parents, and and I will say that some parents use school as a babysitting service. They drop their kid off in the morning, they pick them up, or the bus drops them off in the afternoon, and they have all that time during the day to do whatever it is they do. Whether and 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 I don't. I don't say this of all parents because I think most parents are responsible. Most parents what want what's best for their children. But at the same time, as you mentioned, there are people who use the system for their benefit. And in doing so, maybe this is where we get some of these ideas and some of these things from groups like the American Academy of Pediatrics saying, well, you know, uh, your child, if uh, they want to know about a, a abortion, well, we can tell them or we can consult them or we can do whatever uh, they're talking about doing here. Uh, the transgender issue, because now you've got an in, you know, it, it's like everything, Ron. Once we do a lot of things under the guise of safety and protecting uh, our children for the future, and it's like getting a foot in the door. And once you get your foot in the door, then they pull back and kick the door wide open, and uh, all of this just really uh, explodes into uh, the different things that we're hearing about in this day and age. Well, I think that's exactly right, and I, I think that there's no one answer 
uh, to all of these problems. But I do want to I do want to interject this. Uh, first of all, I think that if you're a parent, if you can get your kids out of the government schools and preferably homeschool the kids, but regardless, not every parent's going to be able to do that. So what you better do is you better make sure you have some Gail Griswolds as your school board president. You need people like Gail that are at least going to make the best out of a bad situation with the government schools. Mm-hmm. And and so that's, and, and give people like Gail the cover that she needs to do the hard stuff. Because, because a, a, somebody that wants to do right by the government schools right now is going to be faced with a tremendous uphill battle. Everybody's going to be fighting her. Jesse's going to be fighting her. The state school board's going to be fighting her. Uh, there'll be a certain number of parents that are fighting her. There'll be other school board members that are fighting her. So, so give Gail and people like her all the support that she can. But one of the stand is is that we have, we have all these other moving parts. Right now, there's about you know over ten billion dollars of federal money that's been injected into the state of Missouri. Ten billion dollars with a B that we really don't need and. The politicians are falling all over themselves and bureaucrats trying to figure out how to spend this money. Mm-hmm. And so part of what they're doing with that money is expanding the role of government. And, and that means that they're going to make it even easier for the schools to be your children's nanny. They're going to make it easier for, for parents to decide that we're going to use, this, use you know, some kind of a government program, or some you know, Head Start program or early education program or whatever it might be, to be the babysitter for our children so we don't have to be, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but then the other dynamic is, is that we, we've created this, I shouldn't say it's a necessity, but we've created at least a mentality that we have a two income economy. Mm-hmm. And so it's not as easy anymore for dad to be the breadwinner and mom to be the, you know, stay at home mom who's a, who's a nurturer caregiver type. And, and it, and, Part of it is, is people have expectations that are too high. They're not willing to make sacrifices so mom can stay home and, and take care of the family and, and frankly make dad a more valuable employee for whoever he works for. Um, you know, so a lot of it goes back to basic economic problems that we have in this country that, that need to be fixed. But ultimately, parents have to make the hard choices mm-hmm. and decide, you know, we really don't need two nice cars. We, we can get by with one that's, that's good transportation and the other one maybe is a junker. It can get us around, but we don't really need to. We don't need that big screen TV. We don't need the biggest house. We don't need all those things because raising our children properly is more important. You know, and, and, and you, uh, you touched on something that I thought was very interesting uh, as we, you know, as, as we look at uh, these various uh, groups and organizations trying to uh, do more to uh, kind of put a wedge in between parents and children, you know, the uh, the Secretary of the U.S. Uh, or the Department of Education came right out and said that parents don't need to have uh, the active role that they would normally have in their uh, in their children's education uh, when the uh, the race was going on for governor of Virginia. 
the the gentleman that was running against uh, the the current governor there, uh, he had said uh, again, parents don't need to have the involvement that they have with their children. Here, let, let us do it for you. Let us take care of you, much like uh, the government. Uh, says all the time we're here to help we're here to pick up the pieces we're here to uh, keep you safe and make sure bad things don't happen well unfortunately like my good uh, friend danny ellison always says you know at some point you're going to die and there's nothing the government can do about that (laughs) yeah you know it it seems as though there's plenty of people out there uh just ready to allow the government to uh take over in a part of their life so that i guess they can not deal with that responsibility anymore and just go have fun and I guess that's the whole that's the whole uh, that's the whole point that's the whole plan. Let's uh, let's get as much control away from parents as possible, and uh, then turn uh, things over uh, to the government, and then the government uh, gets their hand in things and uh, and kind of slams the door. Gail Griswold, who's going to be joining us uh, next hour, is in the studio, and I believe she had a question for you, Ron. Hi, Ron. Hey, Gail. Uh, good morning. Thanks for the um, shout out. Appreciate that, but. I'd not pay Ron for that. So, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> when what? he mentioned me earlier, that was very cool. Oh, oh, yeah. But I have a question on legislation. I was looking at the education um, omnibus bill, and you talk about you know this the rearing of the state and and legislative, and this thing is the scariest thing I've ever seen coming through. Um, have you been paying attention to SB eighty one and everything attached to it? No. I'm sorry, I've not been paying much attention to it, but the fact that it's an omnibus bill speaks volumes. I mean, and anytime I, you have omnibus bills, you're going to have garbage in it. So apparently um, the Senate side can remove some of the amendments, and so that's a good good news. So I would encourage everyone, you know, contact the Senate and tell them there's, I mean, there's a lot in there. I think about 19 amendments. Um and it and all the things that you're talking about are in here. Um, so I would definitely take a look at that. I th- I think it's going to pass. It's just what is going to pass with it because it's a bipartisan bill mm. for literacy that this that the ladies of the Senate have um, made a book about and have been parading around their book about how they all came together for bipartisan literacy work. Which great sounds great. Um, That's what's on the surface. You you don't. You have to well, dig yeah, a lot and deeper to really find out what's going and it, on. And it's more power and money to Desi. So I'm just like, you know what? We don't thank you, but no thanks. And then we have copious amounts of things attached to it, including competency-based education, workforce training, all the fun stuff. So keep an eye out that for that, Ron. <laughs> well, I might, I might just suggest that at some point in time, we have to just bite the bullet and say, no more omnibus bills. When, when you have all, as, you know, as, as Ike knows, and if you all might know, one of my uh, advocations is challenging unconstitutionally changed bills, you know, bills that have changed purpose or they're multiple subject bills. And, and there's a reason the Constitution prohibits them. And the reason is, is that you're forced to accept things that you wouldn't otherwise accept to get things that you want. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and so things that would never get a majority vote and pass get slipped into these omnibus bills in in volumes. And so at some point, we have to be willing to, to just not get the things we do want and, and say, no more omnibus bills. Let's keep bills one subject at a time. Let us truly decide whether or not you know, we have consensus on this one subject at a time. And, 
and that means that you might have to wait to get something that you want in that omnibus bill until they're willing to deal with it one piece at a time. Is it something you want, or is it something that we need? Is is, is that uh, is there a different way to look at it there? I mean, in terms of, uh, you, you talk about these omnibus bills, and, and, and so on the surface, we're doing things that seem to be, you know, maybe going in the right direction, but then you have all this other stuff tacked to it. And that is, I guess, where the problem lies, because as you mentioned, there's no way to keep an eye on everything that's going on. And uh, you you want to be there to uh, kind of be the watchdog and make sure that folks are doing things above the table. But as we know, that's uh, certainly not always the case. Well, yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with... Um you know, wanting things that make, you know, our society and our lives better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly there's very few things that we really need government to do or changes that we need to make, you know, but I, I'm, the problem is, you know, goes back to what I've started out talking about. And that is, is that when you have these huge bills and you, you don't even know exactly when they're going to come to the fore for debate and you don't even know what form they're going to be in because they've been changed. Uh, it's hard for the typical rep to know uh, what's in them and how to react to them, how, whether to support them and, you know, what to strip out of them. And so we go back to the fact that leadership needs to start being more cooperative and, and informing people. And and that, of course, is the, the bigger the bill, the more important that is. So at some point, we just have to, to take a, a step, step or two or ten back and say, we're going to deal with the fundamentals. We're going to deal with the rules. We're going to deal with uh, the fact that we're not following the constitutional requirement to have one subject per bill and just demand it. And even if nothing else happens, focus on demanding that we do things the right way so we can make, you know, reasoned, informed decisions about about legislation. So I don't know, Gail, if there's anything in that bill that you that you want or you need, but I, I think that the message needs to be, kill it, it's too big. Let's go back next session and deal with these things one a piece at a time. Uh, there's nothing that I want out of the legislature for education. They're better off doing nothing and just letting the local schools truly have local control. Rod yeah. Calzone, thank you very I, much. I, go ahead. I'll let you finish your thought there. I, I was going to say, Gail, if I, if I were in your position, the single thing that I would be lobbying for more than anything else is the repeal of the Outstanding Schools Act, Senate Bill 380 from... Uh, when was it like 1992 yeah that's I've, when you that's when you lost local control i've been researching that um in depth actually so I, i'd love to follow up with you on that maybe we could talk a little bit about that Great. next hour and give folks a little insight ron calzone thank you sir for your time as always we appreciate it and uh, we hope to have you back again soon to talk more about what's going on and maybe uh, once the legislation uh, legislative session rather has concluded we could uh, we could talk about uh, some things that they need to uh, look forward to working towards in uh, in 2023 but thank you for your time sir much appreciated thank you for having me absolutely there it goes, folks. That's Ron Calzone, and you are listening to The Daily Show here on 89.3 Key Radio. And when we come back, we'll uh, get you caught up on a couple of things and then talk to the president of the Campton School Board. Uh, Gail Griswold, Ike Skelton, is going to stick with us uh, through all of this as well. And your phone calls are welcome at 573-633-5395. <laughs> The Lick of the Ozarks' only community radio station. That's right, you've got a hand in it, Lake of the Ozarks. 89.3 KEYK, Osage Beach, Missouri. 
I'm Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 4th. MoDOT will be closing Route 42 and Highway 54 to motorists between Osage Beach and Iberia this spring and early summer. The work on Route 42 has already started and will continue through June. Once those repairs are done, work will begin on Route 54, which will include closing portions of this major highway to traffic. More information at lakeexpo.com. Natural gas customers struggling to keep up with their energy statements have access to new funding from Amber, Missouri. Eligible natural gas customers can now receive assistance through Amber, Missouri's Clean Slate program. Which forgives past due balances, Amron is pledging $250,000 to support natural gas customers who qualify for assistance. More information at lakeexpo.com. Ryan Pierce, who is accused of biting off a portion of a man's ear and gouging his eyes, has been caught in Lynn Creek. Camden County deputies were called to a disturbance at a residence in Lynn Creek where they spoke with a man they suspected to be Ryan Pierce. He gave them a different name and date of birth, but deputies suspected the information was false. After confronting him with that suspicion, the man admitted to being Pierce and was arrested without further incident. He's being held in Camden County on a Miller County warrant with a bond amount of $150,000. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news, events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. Portions of the programming on Key Radio are made possible through a generous donation from lakeexpo.com. Lakeexpo.com is a locally owned daily news website connecting residents, second homeowners, visitors, and the boating community to the Lake of the Ozarks. Lake Expo features real estate and boats for sale, upcoming events at the lake, and their exclusive boating club, X-Tow. Download the free Lake Expo app on the App Store and Google Play. LakeExpo.com, the lake's trusted news source. Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. College baseball last night. Mizzou comes up with a nice win. They beat Southeast Missouri 9-3, so the Tigers now 25-17 and on the season. Huge win for MSU. The Bears 22-19, and winners of eight of their last nine after knocking off fourth-ranked Arkansas last night, winning at 6-4 to on the road. Huge win for MSU. So the Bears have beaten Mizzou and Arkansas in the last week. On the ice tonight, round one of the NHL playoffs. The Blues in Minnesota against the Wild. The Blues won game one. Four to nothing Monday night. So Blues looking for a series commanding win on the road tonight in Minnesota against the Wild. Baseball last night, it was the Royals beating the Cardinals in Kansas City seven to one. The Royals eight and fourteen on the season now. The Cardinals thirteen and ten. NASCAR, the uh, standings leader is Chase Elliott. He got his first win of the year Monday in the weather delayed Duramax uh, four hundred at Dover Motor Speedway. Hey, you got to check out KB 
on TV. That's right. Kevin K.B. Burns has his own TV show on Lake TV. You can see it every day. What's burning with K.B. at uh, 7 in the morning, 5 in the afternoon, 11 at night. Lake TV bringing you five local lake area shows. And don't forget about Uncle Chris at the top of the hour. Almost every hour you can see Lake TV on Como Channel 90, free on Roku. Just do a search for Lake TV. Streaming live 24-7 at MyLakeTV.com. I'm Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. Our underwriters are who makes the programming possible on Key Radio. And thank you to Victoria Station. Misty Atkinson talks about the history of Victoria Station and how you might have to just use your nose with some of the unique products they offer at Victoria Station. The Victoria Station has been around for 37 years now. We're a family-owned business. We've been in our location for 27. We're veteran-owned, family-run. We carry lots of different product categories, from greeting cards to home fragrances, uh, lamps, potpourri. There are certain products that you have to smell. Those home fragrance things, the candles, the potpourri lines, the fragrance oils, that, yeah, you need to smell it to see if that's what you want your own home to smell like. We're still located at 5465 Osage Beach Parkway, just off the Case Road exit. And the best way to find us online is on Facebook at Victoria Station. We are open daily 930 to 530. The Serving Table provides free meals at Key Gathering Place, Wednesdays 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. and Thursdays 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's the continuing mission of Jacob and Carly Lamb to serve people in need. But this is not just about free food. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Spiritual food is as great a need as the meals Jacob prepares, and we need volunteers to join in so the Serving Table can open every day. Learn more at KeyGatheringPlace.com or search Facebook before the serving table. Happy to be the Lake Sounding Board. Community radio for the Lake of the Ozarks. It's 89.3, the key. 9, 10, 51 degrees. Looks like we are more than likely going to see a little rain if it hasn't already made its presence felt throughout the lake area here. Uh, 62, the expected high periods of rain this afternoon as well as tonight. 56, the overnight low. 
Thunderstorms uh, likely tomorrow. High 71, low 54. 60 the high on Friday with showers in the morning, a low of 50. Partly cloudy on Saturday, 73 the high, 58 the low. And the day that needs to uh, probably be the best out of the whole weekend. Sunday, Mother's Day, we're looking for a partly cloudy sky, a high of 85, a low 69, sunny and 90 on Monday. So I would imagine a few air conditioners are going to be getting a bit of a workout. You might want to uh, take the time now to call if you haven't already done so. Get a little preventative maintenance done so when you fire that bad boy up, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. 51 degrees, some clouds, some uh, light rain moving through the region as we take a look at the radar. We do see a little bit of that, and it looks like... More importantly, we're going to see it later on. Uh, probably it starts to move into the area around uh, about 1230, 1245, 1 o'clock in there. We'll see how it all holds together. Broadcasting live from the world headquarters of SRG Financial Advisors. Good to have you with us here this morning. And good to have the opportunity to get into another hour of good conversation. Ike Skelton hanging out with us. And we've got the president of the Camdenton School Board. As you heard, uh, we had a chance to hear from her a little bit last hour. Gail Griswold joining us this morning. How you been? Good. Yeah? Great. How about yourself? I, uh, I'm i doing well. I always kind of wonder about you because you got so many <laughs> irons in the fire. <laughs> and, and you came in this morning and you look, uh, you know, comfortable and content and everything's going well. But after doing it for a while, you kind of develop a, a pattern. Right. Right. Or, or you always have an emergency plan or something, something to fall back I, on. Every hour there's... Um, uh, another fire to put out um it doesn't weather it, it my you know i i have a normal working mom right. and so you have your family and uh your businesses and then with the school board there's a lot of things that comes our way that you don't really anticipate when you're running for school board that you'll have to um whether address or even just just know about and mm-hmm. process and you know you probably get a little thick skinned over it's been a year right um but there's but so many to. things that I'm still still learning on um, on so many different levels internally. You know, we fought a lot of things externally. There's a lot of things internally to um, be educated on and, and to always improve on. Is that how you have to look at it? You know, you have to maybe provide a bit of a buffer zone for the school district, uh, initially taking care of some of the outside things before you can really start focusing on what's going on internally? Well, since I've only been on the board for a year, um, I think that was a natural process for me. Previous board members that were on for long periods of time, you know, maybe they they didn't have to do so much at once. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were always doing it. So I I think you put in as much work as you want to. You're as busy as you want to be. Mm -hmm. And I really advocate for anyone running for school board or sitting on a school board that they are very active school board member that's that's my biggest um request when even for our own board when people are running i just no rubber stampers i really want people that are engaged that are going to dig in um and we have a lot of people on the board currently that do that so the election for school board is is over Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm going to be working with uh Jacob Nushi. Yes. And, of course, Eric Walters was retained. Yes. He'll be back again uh, to serve on the board as well. Uh, anything that, uh, you know, you're looking at doing right now, what, as we get ready to conclude the school year, uh, what is the position of the school board? What uh, kinds of things are you looking at? Do you do kind of a review from the, uh, the previous year? Do you start setting the table for the upcoming uh, school year? Uh, where are you at as of, like, uh, May the 4th. <laughs> <laughs> May the 4th be with you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so 
when we had current leadership announce their retirement, mm-hmm. we had to already start planning for the next year. Um, we hired a new superintendent in the winter, and then he started to develop his team for next year. And we have a lot of new leadership coming in. Uh, we have so we have a new superintendent, two new assistant superintendents. We have um, two new principals, one and a third one that is internally moving. Um, and we have people that are coming back to be principals that have left the districts to come back. We're excited about that. So it's a lot of restructuring. We have um, changed our direction in curriculum, and that's in the process right now. And, and that's a that's a big thing for me and a lot of people nationwide is is our emphasis on um, phonical awareness for grammar and math. I think we had already made some gains. Teachers really advocated for a new curriculum. Um, at the lower elementary level that had more phonics uh, based uh, resources and curriculum. And so that had already happened a year prior, I think to me taking my seat. Mm -hmm. And I really have to give the credit to the teachers for really fighting for that because they, they saw that um, it was a big need. And when we talk about phonics, it's uh, breaking down the sounds of words. So you can go out and, and read and you're not, or, you know, you're not using context and pictures to figure out what that word is. You actually can know how to break out that word and sound. And then you start to use, you know, context and comprehension. So those things in the last 10 years or more nationally had kind of gone away in, in a lot of a lot of public schools. Um, so that's a big deal because when you get out, when it, when a student gets out in the real world, it doesn't matter how much they've been trained on or, or what skills maybe they attained um, if they can't really read. Because if they change their career, they have um, different things they want to do. You, Everything really starts with reading and then math. Math is very important. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, there was an NFL player. Reggie White was his name. He played for the, the Eagles. I believe he played for the Packers as well. And at one point in his career... Um, he was talking about literacy and being able to read and how he learned, as you had mentioned, to base things on pictures mm-hmm. and not really knowing what the words were and what they meant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see somebody like that who was obviously supposed to go through school and then went on to uh, college and then got into professional sports, and you wonder how somebody like that could slip through the cracks, which leads me to believe that there are probably more children out there that don't have that status, that don't have that notoriety, that uh, certainly need that kind of education as well to make sure that, you know, when they're doing just basic things in their lives, they know what's Mm -hmm. going on, but certainly when they get to a point where they enter the workforce, um, can you do things... Uh, and understand exactly what it is that you're doing. So that concept, potentially what he learned was whole language. And whole language, um, some people advocate for both whole language and phonics. Um, it's my under- it's my opinion that you cannot do whole language and phonics, that you give up phonics for whole language. And whole language is you have a picture, and the picture is of um, a boy named John gardening. And the teacher will have you read what it is and they'll make up their own, the student reading back will make up their own story. They're not actually reading the word. Mm -hmm. They're saying boy plays in garden and they'll, they'll 
the whole language concept will actually let them be okay with that and continue on. Um, whole language also potentially um, creates dyslexia in, in people that don't necessarily mm-hmm. suffer from dyslexia. So I um, have a lot of uh, people that have reached out to me where they had to be corrected into phonics, um, maybe in high school or, or at any time, and it's almost like they're being corrected from dyslexia to phonics. Yeah, I've noticed this when, when reading books to a child, uh, you know, at bedtime or what have you, and then after you've read it, you know, 10, 15, 20 times to them, you start at, well, okay, read along with me, but they're not actually reading the the and the, and the and, some of those things. They make their own word up in there to go along with, and you have memorizing. to correct. Yes, they're memorizing it, and they're using that picture to plug words in that they think is happening. So um, it seems to me, you know, we have all the electronics these days and all this different whatever, but if something ever happens to where, you know, that's gone or disrupted for a while. I think you have to have that bedrock basic stuff, the, the, the phonic fundamentals, you know, math, trigonometry and all that's fantastic. But if you can't add, subtract, multiply and divide, uh, especially simple numbers, even in your head, then the rest of that isn't going to, you're not going to get anywhere with any of that. So getting back to some of the fundamentals, I think is fantastic. So there's different concepts in math. Um, and there's grouping. Um, so, so when you do math in your head, you kind of do what they're trying to teach them on paper. And so, you know, say you have 18 plus 12, like in your head, you're kind of breaking up those numbers and doing it quickly in your head. Mm -hmm. Well, they're now teaching kids to write that out. The problem is, is now they can't do it quickly in their head. Mm -hmm. So now when they go on to take the ACT, SAT, if different things that they want to do, they can't. They, they can't do very well, even map testing. Uh, recently, somebody told me that their, their kid couldn't even get through the multiplication thing quickly, and they failed their map test. Mm. So, um, yes, all these, what these things are, are new shiny carrots. They've gotten away from what works because people need to make money. They need to sell you an idea so you can buy their curriculum and now train teachers pay for that Mm -hmm. so it's just it's um, a made-to-work kind of concept so we already had a foundation education we have i don't know if you've ever heard of mcduffie readers i actually ordered them i actually ordered them and my kid it's you know it's definitely old school but it was it works that is what was given out nationally kind of like i think he was even maybe a carpetbagger type would go around the country but um probably a better type of carpetbagger (laughs) and would give you know one room schoolhouse type of ways to teach and that is strictly phonics and the math the math part i really was really interested in and, and been looking at that for my children um so what we've done is we've just really gotten away from what works because we can't make money off of what works anymore because right. yeah. it's already there. Yeah, right? we've got to try something new to market yeah. something different, and right. let's do this a different it's way. A lot and, of yeah. money. We are a very good customer, and we are eighty percent of the taxes nationwide. Mm-hmm. So everybody wow. looks at the school to make money off of them, and also to tell school boards just to sit there and listen and don't make any, don't ask any questions. Mm-hmm. Give all the authority to the superintendent. Mm-hmm. We're trained on that. Uh, I have examples of that. And, um, which is, I get it for efficiency and chain of command. And when you have a large school district, some of these are really big, bigger, bigger than ours. I get it. You want to be out. They want to have some type of way to make quick decisions without waiting on the board. I'm, I'm okay with it to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but when it comes to the things that we're legally re- 
required to review curriculum is legally in state statute that the board has to approve right, it. Right. But when I asked for all the books and resources for the curriculum, um, you know, some some heads rolled. You know, that's not her job. That's not her job. <laughs> when I went into a school recently for um, for different reasons, school board members aren't supposed to be go- going into school school into schools. And so I think we've really gotten away from. What is the role of a school board? Mm-hmm. I think people have really don't really understand that and think that we're just supposed to sit up there and just the yes people. The yes people. What, 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 what's their role? What is our role? You said uh, you don't like people who rubber stamp, but essentially that's what it sounds like they want you to do. They want us to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and they train us to do that, hmm. and wow. we pay them to train us to do that. I, but I don't know if you're getting into a break because I could get back to what Ron Calzone was I, talking I was gonna, a little bit. That's exactly where I was was headed. That was okay. going to be my next question because okay. when we wrapped up our interview with Ron, he had mentioned to Gail that uh, there's one thing that you need to see what you can do in terms of getting rid of in the future, something that's been around for a while and has certainly muddied the water. So if you look at the decline in education, I graduated in 1999. And I kind of remember, oh, I, you know, I think I had a pretty good public education. My teachers were great. I just don't remember, and maybe I, maybe it was there, but I just don't remember a lot of this kind of, you know, um, I don't remember, I didn't even know who my principal was half the time, the superintendent. I mean, my teachers really had probably a lot of autonomy or the, the building level did, and there just seems to be a lot more that teachers have to do. So I was alerted to the 1993 Outstanding Schools Act, and so I started to do some research on it. And Ron's right. Um, In 1993, there was a lawsuit from a public school, I believe in St. Louis, that said that the equity funding um, from the state wasn't equitable, meaning certain districts weren't getting um, an equitable amount per student in different districts. And so the judge ruled, um, this is correct. It's, it's doesn't, you know, it's not equitable and the state needs, I'm not going to tell the state how to fix it, but the state needs to fix it. And, and I think the premise was, you know, this school is spending $3,000 per student. This one nearby is 12,000 per student. How do we get this other school more money? And I don't necessarily fault that idea. Um, but they took that opportunity and real talk about omnibus bills. This thing is loaded. So then this is during Mel Carnahan. If you look at all the legislation in Missouri and probably nationwide, we have the most legislation ever to come out of Missouri during the 90s. And 1993 is my a lot goes back to 1993 mm. all the time, all the time, all these um, extra regulations and, and different opportunities for um, government overreach, really. So the 1993 Outstanding Schools Act was Mel Carnahan's, you know, big, big deal. He he really um, made it his legacy type of um, work. And what it did was it, is it added um, assessments and different hoops to go through for accreditation. Well, when I looked into the archives of newspapers, the GOP was not very happy about this because... It forced every school district to adopt a 2.75 tax levy in their district. So it went around the Hancock Amendment, Mm. which we have seen recently Mm, of the gas tax. Mm -hmm. So what it did was it said, if you want to be accredited in the state of Missouri, you have to go back to a vote of the people in your district 
to adopt a 2.75 levy. And we've all had that since then. So it forced forced that on the communities. And then it created what we call uh, currently MSIP. And there's been different versions. Right now we're getting ready to start MSIP 6. And it's different versions of what public schools have to do per DESE to be accredited. Now, charter schools don't have to do MSIP. So I would talk about school choice a lot. I'm not anti-school choice. I'm just what does school choice look like? Um, and when you have charter schools that only have to do a, f- a few minor things, but you have public schools have to go through all this, I mean, who do you think is going to do probably better if they even do better? So that aside, MSIP 6 is the continuous improvement plan. The this, this new one that they just came up with added extra duties to school board members. We have to do more professional development, um, you know, more indoctrination mm-hmm. camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, it added equity. So now we have to track how we're doing equity, whether that's low income or however that looks. Uh, a lot of extra pieces. And so this is all from the 1993 Outstanding Schools Act since 1993. When I went to a state board of education meeting, one of the guys who's been sitting on the board forever Um, And maybe not very well liked, actually, but he said something that I was like, why is anyone listening to him? He said, since we've started this MSIP, we have seen no improvement. I mean, and he was talking all the way back to 1993. We have seen Mm -hmm. no, I mean, do you guys notice any improvement from 1993 in our education system? As far as I know, the (laughs) scores have been going down for Mm -hmm. the past pick a number of years. They've just been going down. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's, and, and the taxes keep going up, don't they? The money pouring into schools well, is going up and the scores are going down. And the fact that we talk about teaching to the test as opposed yeah, to, yeah, yeah. you know, various other things that uh, that should be done. Uh, and, and so uh, wh- while you were talking about that, just real quick, I, I looked up, uh, you know, what this is all about. And there's a group called uh, SEAM, C-E-A-M, the Children's Education Alliance of Missouri. And uh, they are kind of the folks that, at this point, are uh, pushing, you know, anything you want to know about uh, this Outstanding Schools Act. Uh, They've got a lot of information here. Uh, And what I'm reading is kind of lending itself to what you were talking about. Their their statement or their, you know, how they position themselves, it's called reimagining education. How in the world do you reimagine education? What, what, What does that even mean? So a lot of times I hear um, the question ask, like, what is the role of public education? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is to create good citizens. And that's when I say absolutely not. That is not the role of education to create good citizens. Our role of education is to educate. I mean, public, if you go back to the one-room schoolhouse, that's probably when 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 that got consolidated, that's when things really went downhill. Um, the one-room schoolhouses were thriving, even in minority um, populations, forced integration for that. I mean, they were thriving in their own communities with their own teachers, and, and we just really we ruined that for them, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, But then, um, you know, the argument of, of God in our schools, all the, the one-room schoolhouses had, you know— um, A lot of them were churches a lot of them on were Sundays churches. and schoolhouses all the rest of the week. So when they consolidated schools— um, which like for Camden, if you drive around the little areas and you see the little one room schoolhouse, mm-hmm. now they all went to Camden. Different states and areas did that at different times, so I don't want to act like that was like a set time, but it was sometime turn of the century into the third nineteen thirties. So we're it's happening again. So with um, 
open enrollment sounds good, but it potentially will take kids out of other areas to go to a bigger school that has more resources, maybe a better football team and different stuff. And and again, really hurt. It it may or may not hurt 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 the um the smaller area schools. But to um to go back to like what is the role of education and we have a tech school and I talk a lot about it publicly about workforce training the governor is pushing workforce training um, to me again that's not the role of public education mm-hmm. I think it's fine to go to our tech school and learn welding and um, nursing and all and, and be exposed definitely I uh, you know ninth and up ninth through 12th grade maybe but really K through 8 was is where the um, foundation is set on education. And a lot of times back, you know, a century ago, uh, most children went to the one-room schoolhouse from kindergarten to eighth grade and then went back and worked on the farm. That's right. They didn't, the only kids that really went to high school were those that were going to continue on to go to college. Right. They were going to be doctors, lawyers, and everything. And so the role of public education was to give potentially lower-income um, children an opportunity to go to school because mainly wealthy families were going to school probably more in the metropolitan areas. So again, what is the role of education? And there's this really good quote from C.S. Lewis, and I don't, I think C.S. Lewis is, you know, decent, but it could be, I don't know. Do you, maybe not? No, no, he's, he's, he's good to okay, go. Okay, good, because I, I feel like I quote he's somebody and then they're like, well, he did this, and I'm like, man. Well, <laughs> no, nobody's <laughs> perfect, but yeah. Let's get your quote in, then we're going to have to okay. take a quick break, and we'll come back with more after uh, after the quote here. Um, he said, if education becomes training, civilization dies. 932, mm-hmm. and with that, we will take our uh, break, bottom of the hour, come back, talk more with the president of the Camdenton School District, Gail Griswold, Ike Skelton with us as well, and your phone calls welcome on Key Radio. I'm Stacy Johnson, and this is your Lake Expo News Cut for Wednesday, May 4th. MoDOT will be closing Route 42 and Highway 54 to motorists between Osage Beach and Iberia this spring and early summer. The work on Route 42 has already started and will continue through June. Once those repairs are done, work will begin on Route 54, which will include closing portions of this major highway to traffic. More information at lakeexpo.com. Natural gas customers struggling to keep up with their energy statements have access to new funding from AMRA Missouri. Eligible natural gas customers can now receive assistance through AMRA Missouri's Clean Slate program. Which forgives past due balances, Amron is pledging $250,000 to support natural gas customers who qualify for assistance. More information at lakeexpo.com. Ryan Pierce, who is accused of biting off a portion of a man's ear and gouging his eyes, has been caught in Lynn Creek. Camden County deputies were called to a disturbance at a residence in Lynn Creek where they spoke with a man they suspected to be Ryan Pierce. He gave them a different name and date of birth, but deputies suspected the information was false. After confronting him with that suspicion, the man admitted to being Pierce and was arrested without further incident. He's being held in Camden County on a Miller County warrant with a bond amount of $150,000. This has been your Lake Expo News Cut. All this news and more at lakeexpo.com. Lake news, events, boating, and the lake life, lakeexpo.com. Programming on Key Radio made possible in part by Skelton Key and Lock. 
When you're locked out of your home, car, or business, every second counts. You need to be sure that the company you choose will answer the call and get to you as quickly as possible. Skelton Key and Lock offers reliable service, reasonable rates, and they're recommended by everyone. They can cut and program new keys and fobs. They can install new locks on your home, business, or rental property. If you can stick a key in it, chances are it can be serviced by Skelton Key and Lock serving the entire lake area. Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. College baseball last night. Mizzou comes up with a nice win. They beat Southeast Missouri 9-3, so the Tigers now 25-17 on the season. Huge win for MSU. The Bears 22-19, winners of eight of their last nine after knocking off fourth-ranked Arkansas last night, winning at 6-4 on the road. Huge win for MSU so the Bears have beaten Mizzou and Arkansas in the last week on the ice tonight round one of the NHL playoffs the Blues in Minnesota against the Wild the Blues won game one four to nothing Monday night so Blues looking for a series commanding win on the road tonight in Minnesota against the Wild. Baseball last night, it was the Royals beating the Cardinals in Kansas City 7-1. to The Royals 8-14 and on the season now. The Cardinals 13-10. and NASCAR, the uh, standings leader is Chase Elliott. He got his first win of the year Monday in the weather-delayed Duramax uh, 400 at Dover Motor Speedway. Hey, you got to check out KB on TV. That's right. Kevin KB Burns has his own TV show on Lake TV. You can see it every day. What's burning with KB at uh, 7 in the morning, 5 in the afternoon, 11 at night. Lake TV bringing you five local lake area shows. And don't forget about Uncle Chris at the top of the hour. Almost every hour you can see Lake TV on Como Channel 90, free on Roku. Just do a search for Lake TV. Streaming live 24-7 at MyLakeTV.com. I'm Chris Schneider with your Key Radio Lake TV sports update for this Wednesday. Portions of our programming on Key Radio made possible thanks to Lake TV. Lake TV is your hometown local TV station. Featuring Cup of Coffee with Will and Chris, What's Burning with KB, Live High School Sports, Real Estate, Dining, Boating, and of course the annual Lake of the Ozarks Shootout. Lake TV on Como Connect, Channel 90, Roku, YouTube, Facebook and Instagram, and of course online at MyLakeTV.com. If it's happening at the lake, it's happening on Lake TV. Join 89.3 The Key for the True History Professor program featuring Professor Jim Paisley. The national media now is kind of taking advantage of people. They hit you with a, you know, a big headline, and then they don't give you any information behind it. There's no context to it. Problem. And so what I'm going to try and do, uh, you know, on a weekly basis with the show is to try and share with you what, what were the events, what are the things behind the scenes here, what, what led to this. Professor Paisley takes a look back at history and how it relates to present day events. But we take it on face value without 
having any knowledge of why. It, well, it's because the news told us. Join Professor Jim Paisley Thursdays and Saturdays at 6 a.m., 2 p.m., and 10 p.m. for the True History Professor Program on 89.3 The Key. If you'd like to become a content provider, simply contact the Lakes Community Radio Station at 89.3 The Key. It is 9.39. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Hey, coming up on the program tomorrow, we're going to be talking with our community events director slash coordinator for Key Radio. Mindy Sales will be in in hour number one. Danny Ellison joins me on the program at 9.10 tomorrow. And we're going to talk with one of our brand new content providers. David Porter is going to be joining us at 9.40. He is one of the new content providers that we have here on Key Radio. So look forward to being a part of the program again tomorrow. Stick around for a lot of the other things that we have coming your way, the programming that we have uh, coming your way following uh, this show. 939, we are at 52 degrees. Uh, looks like maybe 62, 63, the high today. Some rain moving in definitely uh, by uh, late this morning, early this afternoon. Possibly some rain tonight as well and a low of 56 degrees. Broadcasting live from the world headquarters of SRG Financial Advisors, we've got the president of the Camdenton School Board, Gail Griswold, Ike Skelton, in with us as well. Your phone calls welcome at 573-633-5395. Looks like we uh, uh, could probably uh, maybe use another hour, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately we, we don't have the opportunity. So as far as uh, what the school board has accomplished this year, uh, what are some things that you, uh, you're really happy about? What are some things that you feel maybe uh, need a little work and will be revisited next year? One of the policies that we got rid of early on was for staff communications to the board. And it said all communications need to go through the superintendent. Right. And I think some staff probably didn't think much of it to talk to board members, but I but there were a lot of staff who did. And really felt like if they talked to a board member about something they had concerns with, there, they would be retaliated against. And I think that that potentially um, allegedly has happened and happens in other districts. Um, even Ozark School, is, uh, we did, had some whistleblower staff that made a list of all the things that they had complaints on. And so when we got rid of that policy, um, it was a 4-3 vote. We really fought. I think some people thought that there needed to be some chain of command type limitations. But... As far as really for the board to understand what's going on in the classroom, we can't be there all the time. We want the feedback we want to hear, and we should be um, in a position to where we can filter whether we need to react or not or take that to the superintendent. Um, And so I remember when we got rid of that policy, I saw somebody out, maybe just at the grocery store, and they said, hey, I heard we can talk to you now. (laughs) And I was just like, wow, people. And I was like, yes. And and so it really was affecting some staff to where they felt like they, if they complained about something that that it would 
it would hurt their career. Mm-hmm. You would think that that would be a given, that if uh, an educator had a genuine concern, that they could approach a board member and talk to that person about it without having to worry about any type of retaliation. Now, you've got people that would probably bend your ear every time they see you. Well, this is wrong, that's wrong, sure. this needs fixing, what about this, what about that? But someone who has a genuine or legitimate concern should be able to approach the board and not have to worry about uh, maybe... You know, the key doesn't work in the in the door on the classroom right. when they when they come in the next day after somebody finds out that they had a conversation with you because these people are are working internally all the time. They see everything that goes on. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe there's even a little quorum of folks that have an issue or a leg- legitimate concern and they'd like to approach the board. Uh, that in itself seems to be maybe somewhat guarded. I mean, if you have to go through channels. And and sometimes you do on certain things. I understand that. But, you know, if you have a genuine concern, it's something legitimate, then maybe you should be able to talk to a board member yourself or other members of the board, whoever you feel comfortable talking with, and, and at least present the issue and then see where it goes from there. So one of the um, things I was looking into to even further make it more comfortable for staff to uh, speak out on things that they're concerned with, and that could be whether it's operational it could be curriculum but it could also be financial and there is a concept for a whistleblower policy that i want to work on in an avenue where it can be anonymous and um i was actually talking to an accounting firm and we we were strictly just talking about a financial kind of avenue but i also thought that could probably be anything and so we really need a whistleblower protection type of avenue for staff so that's something i haven't done yet but i want to work on that but i will say an example is we gave the um, special education paraprofessionals a raise and they actually had reached out to me and said, can you come and shadow us and we'd like to talk to you about our pay. And they showed us um, other area districts that were quite a lot more. And special education paraprofessionals help students um, with high high needs. Um, the, the life skills is what the, the group has been called. And sometimes they get um, punched, bitten. Um, they're, they're um, you know, doing sanitary and some nursing type even work. And they were being paid well below the cost of living. Um, I think some of them, I, I can't remember offhand, but it, it was... It was very low. And so just, you know, having them feel comfortable. I did not know any of them ahead of time. Um, just having them feel comfortable reaching out and saying, we like to talk to you. We like to show it to you. And I think the um, the building leadership welcomed it as well. I think they did ask, you know, the principal if that was okay. And um, so that I appreciate the principal supporting them. But so those are the type of things that I, we are, especially in my first year, everything's just coming so fast at you. And you want to look at everything. And so when somebody really draws attention to one specific thing and can help, you know, it's almost like the state legislator, honestly. Like they're up there with all of these bills and everything. And then I'm looking at something like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. Because, you know, you can't do everything. I can't imagine being in a district in the cities that have, you know, 10 to 20,000 students because we have 4,000 and I think <laughs> seven. And they have the same amount of people on their mm. boards. There is a bill that's looking at if you have a large um, district to having sub-district boards, and I actually think that probably would be a, a good thing if they really want to be active. But anyway, so that's one thing that I'm very, very happy with to improve our culture. We have great 
great staff. You hear a lot about teachers are leaving the profession. We need to retain them. Um, I have not seen that trend any different than what it's been in the past. We have a high population of boomers that are retiring. They're in, boomers are retiring in every possible industry, and we have half the amount of population behind them to fill those positions. So that is going to be a natural consolidation in general. But the lake is a great place to live. The school is a great place to work, just like the hospital is a great place. I mean, these are these are very good jobs that are all year round. And um, and we have we attract great teachers. And I think that they're paid um, competitively. We, we don't you know, they always would, I'm sure, love to have more. But we don't get a super amount, but maybe I will now, but super amount of complaints about their pay. They're, they're pretty competitive. Their starting pay is 39000 which costs the district about 50000 a year. So it's it's in line kind of in the higher average for the state. Um, so anyway, so staff culture is something that we knew was a problem. And we're really working on um, improving that. And I think I think we are. I know a lot of the staff is really excited for next year. You mentioned pay, and so we know that uh, Missouri teachers are some of the lowest paid in the in the nation. But then they offset that by saying, well, you work in a school district where, you know, we're 10th or we're 15th in the state overall to try and compensate for the, the, the fact that uh, uh, maybe Missouri teachers need to, uh, you know, get paid a little bit more for the job they do because so often, you know, my sister, who is a, a grade school teacher, has been a grade school teacher for a lot of years and has moved around in various grades. And as kids get older, you know, they start to change, obviously, uh, the way they look at things um, physically, mentally, socially. And so your your teachers obviously have a little bit more to deal with as kids get older, not to say that uh, teachers that are teaching, you know, kindergarten, uh, first grade, second grade, third grade, you know, they're not working as hard or doing as much. But, you know, as kids develop and, and you get into an atmosphere where you really start to see, um, you know, different groups and organizations, you know, they talk about cliques and things like that or mm-hmm. whatever the new trend is as far as kids are concerned and how teachers are expected to deal with that and teach, you know, when, when these lovely electronic devices started showing up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know there was uh, something that I saw on Facebook uh, here not too terribly long ago about a school district that put out a letter and said, you know, Cell phones, uh-uh, we're, not, we're, we're just not going to mm-hmm. deal with them, period, because they cause too much of a disruption. Or if a teacher tells you to put your cell phone away and you flat out tell the teacher no, mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing that and getting I away with it. I never but, told a teacher no. You know, it's, 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 you know, how do we sit down? How do we structure the pay? How do we look at it in the standpoint that these men and women that are doing this job are, are truly getting what they, you know, what they need, uh, you know, to... So they're... There's a few different things in there, what you said. So, criteria, um, I guess, is the word I was looking for. Oh, I'm sorry. What would you say? I, was, I, I think the word I was looking for was criteria. What is the criteria that is used to you know, determine someone's pay as far as an educator? So the state has a retirement fund plan. And so every teacher, um, when they retire, gets this retirement plan. And I don't want to act like I'm totally educated on it, but... Um, you know, kind of like a pension. Mm-hmm. So at our school, they start at 39000 Now, if you want to compare them nationally, our cost of living is also a factor, right? So, you know, 
having a house in D.C. or Boston or L.A. would probably be a lot more expensive. So you have to definitely put in cost of living. I think we should definitely pay our teachers as much as we can. The conversation at the state, though, is trying to get people that are making $25,000 a year up to thirty-five. It doesn't really affect our school district. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing they were looking at on increasing the pay. As far as comparing the, the, younger, the teachers for the younger grades versus the older grades, I kind of um, I look at it like raising my kids. When my kids are little... I am exhausted. And then when they become teenagers, it's a different type of exhaustion. So while they're different, it might not necessarily mean that one's better than the other. Oh, no. But, right. But one thing we did do, I, and it made me think of it, is that we made a big um, initiative to reduce class sizes. So um, you'll, you'll look on a website and say, this school has 16 to 1. I think ours even says 16 to 1 class sizes. That is not true. We have 16 students to... Um, one um, staff member, a certified staff member, which would be, you know, lots of people that aren't in the classroom. So uh, the initiative, especially at the lower grades, we would have some um, kindergarten to second grade classrooms with almost 23 to, you know, 24 students. And that really infects instruction. Um, and so we, we put an initiative, we're hiring a lot more teachers um, we've asked people that are in certain positions in the district that we don't um, um, necessarily think that they um, um, are something that we need to add in their restructuring to go back to the classroom. So um, that's happening. And so we really need to look at what are the expectations we're putting on our teachers. So since we were in school, the expectations on teachers are drastically different. And that comes down from the state and all of this stuff so really advocating at the state level to say our teachers are doing enough they want them to assess them for six weeks before they're for they want a a i'll just say the second grade teacher they want the second grade teacher for six weeks to assess if a student has any speech issues and they can't refer them to speech until they have that six weeks of data collection so now you've lost six weeks of potentially intervening with the student for their speech this is coming down from the state Mm -hmm. these are the things that we need to say that's enough you know it's not working and there's also the need for educators uh, to take part in continuing education Mm -hmm. so you have to look at that as well and, uh, you know, is, 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 is what they're making suitable uh, enough for them to be able to go back to school to uh, eventually get a master's degree and things along those lines? So there are some universities that have partnered with the school districts mm-hmm. so that internally um, our staff members can get their master's. So that I would, um, you know, I caution higher ed sometimes, but that is one thing that um, I think that the teachers really like that we, um, I think we pay into it a little bit and they almost can so i think some programs they can get their masters for for barely anything and that really helps them on the pay scale as well and not only do they are educated a little bit further and then you and, and then again you 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 mentioned retention keeping the teachers uh and you know not always having to uh, go through and hire new personnel uh, because then of course it, it it upsets the apple cart a little bit until the new personnel get adjusted and that they feel like they're you know a, a, a part of the whole uh, the whole apple, I guess, if you want to call it that. But uh, certainly, um, you know, like everything else, I mean, good Lord, uh, we talk about law enforcement and law enforcement uh, here at the Lake of the Ozarks, getting the training and then uh, the 
folks pay for it here locally, and then they mm-hmm. move on to a, a better-paying job. I, I was actually sitting at a restaurant in Jeff City one day, and a guy was bragging about how their department feeds off our our Cameron County department because we train them up and don't pay them good enough. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, people, yes, that is a real issue. And, and, and you know, what about what about teachers? What about uh, things that you can do to help retain these, these folks so that, you know, you've got a good base to work off of all the time? You're always going to have people, um, you know, maybe leaving for one reason mm-hmm. or another, uh, but, but the goal is to try and retain as, as, as many of these folks as possible. Uh, definitely looking at the expectations on teachers, class sizes, and um, making sure that the building leaders have are, are creating a good staff culture. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be huge. But yes, you are never going to get rid of turnover, natural turnover in any industry and in any business. But um, minimizing that is, is the goal. And I haven't really seen that with Camdenton. I will, I mean, I'm sure everyone has an opinion, but um, I haven't seen a unnatural turnover in Camden. Actually, we have people coming back next year, right. teachers that had left before that are coming back because they like the changes that we're making. You, you always hear about a teacher, um, you know, that a teacher gets to the point where uh, they're leaving because it's time for them to retire, you know, <laughs> and um, are, are you still seeing that within the district where there are a number of teachers that have been there, uh, you know, they're tenured and, and things along those lines. And that's another interesting issue with tenure. That's that's probably a topic we could talk about for uh, quite a while. But, you know, you get these folks that have been there and, you know, they've done their uh, done their uh, their job and they want to go on and enjoy their lives, uh, maybe drive off in the sunset, <laughs> whatever the case but uh, that's very important as well. Uh, where are where are you headed now? What are some of the things that you're looking at doing uh, to kind of set the table for the next uh, the next school year? Well, obviously, continuing trying to push for lower class sizes. Um, I think that has a residual effect of taking pressure off of teachers and also giving more one-on-one instruction as possible mm-hmm. and um, to getting to the students when they need them. Right now, we have a lot of restructuring going on, and a lot of the new leadership starts July 1st. So we're almost in a hold pattern as far as the board goes. I mean, we're doing, like, the regular operation things, but we really – they're all working together, um, collaborating, and, uh, you know, have their ideas for next year. And so really just waiting on them to come to us and say, these are the things that we've been working on. These are our ideas. Um, And – and – probably, you know, supporting most of that. But my, I have my own personal um, thing that I was am advocating for, and that is for a, um, a more outdoor classroom learning. Um, I have this idea in my head that I'm working on to present to the board. And I, right now it's just called the Homestead Project. And the idea is to um, get kids out of the four walls as much as possible, starting from kindergarten on, um, I would like to get some greenhouses in place. I'd like to get to where we are even bartering with the community, selling, you know, produce and bringing it into our food and nutrition program mm-hmm. and um, and working with our ag department. And we have a lot of meat producers. I mean, we have beef for days, so we should be eating really good beef hamburgers in our school every day. Uh, teaching kids how to be, uh, uh, you know, how to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, have you thought of uh, any peer teaching? Because that's one of the things that worked really well in uh, the one-room classroom. You know, uh, uh, other students uh, taught the younger kids. Anything you doing with that? 
Well, great point. Uh, so peer teaching, yes, I think we already do have a little bit of the older kids that come in with the younger kids. I do know with this Homestead Project, a lot of the um, um, teachers and leadership thought that this would be a really good way for the older students to come work with kids, whether it's in the greenhouse or whatever project yeah. it is. Um, but it also, that question um, made me remember that a lot of teachers are asking um, to be peer teachers. So you have seasoned teachers that can help the new teachers, and it's mm-hmm. called peer support. And that's a model that used to be happening. We got away with that with instructional coaches, and I think we're going to move back to that. So they're already helping the new teachers anyway. Um, and those are those are the senior good teachers you want training mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. new teachers. 958, what about parents and, and their involvement with the school board? We've got just about a minute or so left here. Obviously, we've heard a lot of things going on since the memo came out last year, October uh, 4th, from Merrick Garland about uh, interaction with parents, school boards, and everybody behaving themselves so we can all just get along. Well, it was probably designed for me before I was on the school board, but it was written when I was on the school board. So, I mean, from the angle of remembering how I was as a parent before, uh, we really weren't welcomed into the conversation. Um, you know, we, I, our PTAs and all of our different stuff, I don't think really get to the parents to where they feel like they know. We, we just need a better organizational structure right. to get them in. I don't think anyone's trying to not have them, at least at Camden. Well, I'll tell you what, I guess, again, that kind of uh, sets itself up for individual school boards and parents and things like that as to how they want to do things. And maybe then that's the best course of action. That's the best way to go. Right. 9.59. Gail, thank you so much for your time. Ike, thank you for your time. Thank you. Folks, thank you, thank you for uh, your time. Ron Calzone, we appreciate him chiming in here as well. And uh, we look forward to joining you again tomorrow, 8 a.m. for the Thursday edition of The Daily Show, where we will be talking with Mindy Sales, Danny Ellison, and David Porter, all a part of the program, getting ready for more excitement. Have yourself a wonderful day, and please make sure to get back here and join us. 89.3 KEYK Osage Beach.